This is the Idea Time Podcast with Dr. Joe North. Welcome to the Idea Time Podcast. Tune in every week for practical tips, strategies, and interviews that will help you to achieve greater professional and business success by thinking more creatively. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe North. Hi there, and welcome to the Idea Time Podcast. Today, I'm with Dr. Mo Khan, who is an innovation expert in the field of engineering and beyond. Got a really fascinating story and our theme today is actually innovation in challenging times. So I can't wait to get started and the interview, although it hasn't escaped me, Mo, that we've got Dr. Joe and Dr. Mo on the podcast together. So welcome. (laughs) Now, lots of good stuff to talk about. You've got a fantastic book, The Innovator's Treasure Chest, and some online programs and things, and we'll, we'll come to those. But I just want to hear more about your story, because you were living the dream, which is some people's dream, but not yours, and you jumped out of that to really focus on innovation culture. So tell us a bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Okay, so I actually had a bit of a rough childhood, maybe. I grew up in London, but I was living on a council estate and had many challenges growing up where I was. And, but I was, I was pretty good at, uh, in my education and I was really good at maths, actually. So I actually managed to take my maths GCSE early. So I, and that was in year nine, I got a B, which was quite a great achievement. What happened after that was, I think I went through a few challenges, as you do probably in your teens, and um, my GCSE grades were decent, but my A-level grades weren't too good. And I actually sort of wanted to become a, a doctor, a medical doctor, and uh, I didn't get that opportunity because of my grades. So I, I went into another um, medical course, but after doing a year of that at university, it just didn't fit well with me and I, I always loved cars and planes and innovation and engineering and um, there was something that wasn't right so in the end I actually um, tried to get into engineering and I uh, applied to a few places and there was a, a, an old guy at King's College University who actually offered me a, a, an interview I couldn't I couldn't believe it I went to the interview and he offered me a place I didn't have the grades I didn't have physics and um, but he offered me a little lifeline to do the thing that I really wanted to do and um, I jumped at it and when I actually started the degree I did really well my grades were really good and after I finished my uh, three years of the degree I went into aerospace um, and I was working at BAE systems actually I had so many wonderful experiences that I don't want to I don't want anyone to think that it wasn't a, a great opportunity and I didn't enjoy it I did enjoy it but it wasn't what I expected and I started to speak to engineers around me and in different places in different companies in different jobs and what I found was that the environment for engineers a lot of the time was quite constrained and I didn't know what to do because I really wanted to be creative. I really wanted to um, solve problems and do innovative things. But everywhere I looked in engineering, people told me that there were so many constraints. And the other thing that I found was that the routes for progression for engineers weren't very appealing. It's going to take me so long to become a chief engineer. And in the end, I decided that, okay, I need to go and I need to learn more and figure out what to do with the current situation. Because I just wanted, I really just wanted to innovate and solve complex problems, like really fun problems. That's quite a brave move, isn't it? Because it sounds like a fantastic career opportunity, but when you know it's not for you, it's still a very brave thing to do to step off and do something 
different from yeah. that? I mean, I speak to friends and people around me all the time about this. I don't yet know. I can't figure out where I got the courage from to make that move. Yeah, so it's something inside you that was driving you. I mean, I, I had um, a very similar thing. I was Deputy Managing Director for East Coast Trains uh, a number of years ago. I, I'd worked really hard to get to that level in the railway industry, but just wasn't enjoying it. There's nothing wrong with East Coast Trains. You know, it was a good place to be. I was doing well. They liked me and all of that. But I just knew it wasn't for me, and I just resigned to set up my own business. Isn't it interesting? You know, why do some people... Why do some of us do that? I guess it's the entrepreneurial streak that we have as well. So you stepped off and what next? So then I did, a, I did a master's in engineering and I did that in probably in a year. It was at the time and I did the, the master's at King's College again where I did my degree. Uh, and then there was a call for a, a, a massive European project. It was basically a project where they were looking to apply some of the process innovation lessons that manufacturing had benefited from into new product development, which was still predominantly slow and a bit clunky across engineering anyway. It was such a fascinating project. It was an incredible opportunity through that PhD. It wasn't like an ordinary PhD. I wasn't just working with theory and books. I was actually going around across Europe to companies and talking with senior people and trying to figure out how we could solve their innovation problems. For me, that was just fantastic because it was like I'd come out of a scenario where I knew that um, I didn't have the uh, opportunities and ability to actually innovate. And now I had an opportunity to go and change the way people were innovating. What were some of the highlights of what you saw? So I think some of the highlights, I actually got the opportunity to visit Wolfsburg and I was working with VW. Uh, that was incredible because Wolfsburg is massive. It's literally like a city, but it's a company which is based there. It's got factories, it's got offices it's got hotels it's like a massive area it's like a it's like an incredible compound working the tens of thousands of African kids and learning about the challenges there that was probably one of the, the most incredible experiences on that there were others I mean I got to I got to visit companies as, as far as uh, I think Italy in the east mm-hmm. and see what they were doing in R&D um, I worked with Rolls-Royce over here in the UK with Visteon down in the south uh, Vistion provide the infotainment system for cars. That was probably the biggest thing, actually being able to go in and talk to engineers, interview them, talk to senior managers and have build a really rounded understanding of new product development and innovation and try to solve the problems which they were facing. That's a cracking pedigree that you've got there of experience. That's really wonderful. And And how did you get from then to the, what you're doing today? And tell us a bit more about what you do today, what your day-to-day looks like. Okay, so after I did the PhD, then I took a little bit of time out after because I actually did the PhD within three years and that was quite a, quite a marathon to be honest. So after that, then I took a bit of time out and then I went into another project and it was like a research project, but similar to my PhD experience, I was doing applied research. This big project was a UK project and it was all about developing capabilities for a next generation aircraft so i was working with airbus rolls royce and eads at the time lots of innovation problem solving i think that's what engineers innovative engineers do so well is solving problems and sometimes we don't know the problems are there innovation is about solving problems isn't it 
Absolutely. I think there's a, there's a funny joke I came across that um, an engineer is someone who solves a problem that you didn't know you had in a way that you don't really understand. <laughs> yeah, but it solves the problem, doesn't it? So but you solve the problem, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, so what are you up to today then? So what, uh, not today as in right now, but, but what, what do you do now? Tell me about your business right now. Okay, so about five years ago, I uh, started a, a training and consultancy firm. And our idea was that we were going to try and bridge the gap between academia, where there's fantastic research going on, or inter-engineering and new product development, and practitioners, practitioners who are really trying to solve the problems and sell products, essentially. With technology readiness levels, they, there's something called the value of death. And that's basically between where you've got something like a proof of concept uh, idea, and you've developed that, you might prototype that. Um, between that point and the point where it starts to become commercial and you've got a real project with customers is this value of death it might be expensive to roll out because it's so new the business case hasn't been proven there's all sorts of reasons for that aren't there at least in in our country we struggle to uh, cross that value of death and this is something that our research councils and engineering councils they uh, acknowledge to actually bridge that gap we thought that we would be able to you know come in as people who have a background in academia and who are aware of the state of the art in research solving real problems and also because we had a background in engineering and in industry so that's basically what we try to do and that's still sort of what I'm trying to do now but what I did find was that despite working with large engineering companies we struggle to really benefit the engineers so, and we, in some way, I think that we weren't able to bring about the change and the transformation which we wanted because we were only working, or our, our primary customers were executives. So it's the front line that you were aiming to reach with innovation, yeah. yeah? What actually happened was after the Brexit vote in 2016, our business was heavily affected because we had clients, we had many clients in Europe and um, they started to prefer, or they said to us that we're choosing to try to find local consultants and people to support us rather than people from overseas. Our business went down considerably since then. And at the same time, then I had feelings like I was missing academia because I started to lose touch with some of the state of the art in, in research, which was taking place. So I decided that I would take an academic position. At that point, then I took up a position as a senior lecturer in engineering management at the University of Wolverhampton. Okay. I, um, I lectured at the University of York. I've, I lectured for eight years on the MSc in engineering management. Um, wow. Yeah, I'm not an engineer, by the way, um, but I guess my modules were around strategy, marketing of technology, innovation. Uh, while I was in that position, then most of my modules were really just management. Yes. Like there, was, there was more process innovation than it was anything else, or process improvement and innovation. Yeah, so that was my, my Friday afternoons. The rest of the time I ran the business, but to be honest, I had about... 80 plus students and it was the marking that uh, I, I thought actually I've done this for eight years so I'm going to reclaim my weekends. Teaching students is such a fulfilling endeavour it's so enjoyable uh, especially when you get students who come into your module and you see them at the start 
and you take them through a learning journey and they come out so much stronger. I think that's, there's, there's not much that I can compare to that experience. Yeah, no, it's, it's very rewarding. And the students from all around the world as well. So seeing them learn from each other uh, is just as enjoyable. So how do you think businesses can innovate and should they be innovating or should they be, I guess, you know, battening down the hatches in these really challenging times? What's your, what are your thoughts? I had a think about this earlier. One of the thoughts that came to my mind is that many people might suggest that nobody cares about innovation now. You know, nobody's thinking about innovation. Everyone's thinking about COVID-19 and how we can possibly survive this scenario. The truth is that innovation is something that can help you now. If you want to do something with your business or with your department or the place that you're working, you can innovate now, you can improve now, you can try and find solutions for tomorrow and adapt now, um, that will help you. You've got a choice. And I think that most companies face this, this choice and this dilemma. Uh, you can either try to just continue doing what you're doing now, or you can plan for tomorrow. I would always vouch for planning for tomorrow and being proactive. It's challenging for some businesses, especially small businesses and medium-sized ones, even some big ones, you know, Laura Ashley, for instance, although I think Laura Ashley has had some problems for a number of years anyway, but cash flow is front of mind for many businesses. They're also keeping businesses operational with self isolation, you know, household isolation and so on, and keeping businesses running is a challenge. So within all those challenges, how can businesses innovate, do you think? And what does innovation mean for, for businesses? Because we, we say the word innovation a lot, but actually, is it a buzzword or what, what does it actually mean in your view? The choice is quite clear. You either improve now and get ready for better days and, and plan for them and uh, make them happen, or you don't. And if you don't, then you're, going to, you're just, you're just uh, at the mercy of whatever happens. And personally, I'm, I try to put myself, you always want to put yourself in a good position. It's like, for example, when you're playing sport. If you're playing a sport, you can either wait for the ball to come to you or you can get into the position where the ball will come exactly where you want it to be. And I think the same is true with the current situation. If you just wait and try and see what happens, you're not going to put yourself into a position where you can actually respond and do things in a fantastic way. We were discussing this yesterday, actually, and um, one point that Joe made, uh, which I found really, really remarkable, was that a crisis is, is the perfect catalyst for innovation. And I remember I was, um, I was actually supporting a company, an English-German company, which does gearboxes. We had a meeting where we had all of their senior management present. And for the directors, the crisis was clear. It was absolutely clear. And they stood together and they said to people, look, we need to change. But the truth is that the crisis wasn't compelling enough to change. The situation we're in now is the crisis is so big, you have to change, really. Many of the big businesses which people are afraid of, their debt is continuously inflating. It's not really a nice position to be in. And nobody, you know, even though the government's offered you know, all these loans for people to you know, be able to have some flexibility with the cash flow, that's not where we want to be. We want to be in a position where we can say our profits are going to be good, not one where we're continuously in decline or we're managing our debt. That's not somewhere where we want to be. And I think the only other way is innovation. Um, and and I, I agree with you. You know, it's about finding a way forward, isn't it? It's about changing, being adaptable, 
and looking for opportunity. What practical, pragmatic tools and techniques, innovation tools and techniques, do you think businesses could use right now to help them think this through and give them some different frameworks and some different ways of seeing the world um, to find that opportunity? I think that there are there are some there are some quick ones which you can apply now. One of the reasons that we are in a significant dilemma in engineering and also many businesses face the same is that we don't take risk assessment seriously enough. It's um it's one of those, isn't it? As humans, sometimes we think that all of this stuff happens to other people, it doesn't happen to us. So therefore all of these risks do end up on a on a risk register somewhere, but uh not completely taken seriously I guess in fact um, I don't know if you've seen uh, I'm running a free a free program at the moment called creative reset and it's to help business owners really just create some space and structure to just think through what their next actions could be day two is actually I call it the business bulletproofer it's a risk assessment but also an opportunity assessment because I think it's really important that if you look at risk you also balance your view with doing exactly the same yeah. for opportunity you know so you get a balanced view and also how can you convert risk into opportunity absolutely so so that's where i'd suggest doing some kind of a swapped analysis yeah yeah so i think your you know your kind of, the programs that you mentioned they're exactly what, you, what people need they need to go through some kind of a workshop experience where they bring out all of their issues and they put them down on paper you can use post-it notes you can use whiteboards you can use magic whiteboards whatever get them all out there, clarify what the opportunities are, identify those opportunities, get the risks down, figure out, do some scenario analysis. Scenario analysis, I always talk about scenario analysis because there are always scenarios that you're going to face. If Mm. you don't actually look at the different scenarios, you're not going to be able to play your game of chess well. You're not aware of how things could possibly go. The best companies um, in the world and some of the companies that I've dealt with, they are so intelligent in how they respond to situations. They know full well that if something happens, they will do something else. So it's it's almost like if X, then Y. Yeah, so they've got like their own algorithm almost for for responding. So it's already pre-thought through. They don't need to wait until there's a catastrophe before having some kind of plan. And I think, you know, you can do a workshop um, for one. Many of the people listening will be self-isolating, working from home, out of the office, you know, and you can you can actually do these things on your own. You can also do them virtually through Zoom or through um, Microsoft Teams or other programs as well. So, yeah. you know. I would, I would always advocate multi-person or a team approach to this. Even if you feel like you're... Uh, the people around you aren't the right people. I, I found this a lot of the time where there might be a senior manager or even a director where they're not really sure. They're not sure that the people around them will put forward constructive ideas because of their feelings. Whenever you've got issues in an organization, there are so many feelings that are um, covered up. It's almost like the elephant in the room. Yeah. Uh, the truth is when we work with people, we say things and they say things and we make decisions and people gravitate towards things that are in, in their favor and which they like or things that are in line with their own thinking. For when, when people do things or say things which are in opposition to what they think or what they want, then they're going to start to have negative feelings. And that's why a lot of the time having someone external come in and give a 
more objective view of the scenario can be so, so helpful for people in, in senior management. I agree. And we can still do that virtually. And I think, you know, it's really interesting to see the increase of online conferencing, you know, tools I've been using for a long time, like Zoom, you know, their sales have, have gone through the roof. As an example of a company having some upside, I guess, of, of what's going on. Innovation is is about identifying opportunities and bringing great ideas to life. And I always, whenever I, I describe innovation, I say it's bringing great ideas to life. Those great ideas could be great ideas for improving your processes. It could be great ideas for technology, functionality, features. It could be so many different things. But those ideas, there needs to be some discussions and some, you know, ideally workshops where you can actually throw these things onto the wall or onto paper and then start to figure out how to turn them into reality. Yeah, fantastic. And one of your great ideas was your book, The Innovator's Treasure Chest, which is 33 life-changing tips from engineering legends. So tell us about why you wrote that and some of the, without giving the game away, some of the things we can expect to find inside. I did a lot of work last year to try and help companies uh, who are struggling with Brexit over here in the UK. The companies range from sort of manufacturing companies to local businesses over here in Birmingham. And at the same time, I was thinking about the key issues in engineering and manufacturing. One of the conclusions that I came to was that the real barrier to innovation, I I find I consider innovation to be the solution to many of our economic issues and even other issues that we have. But one of the things that I found was that people don't have freedom to innovate. And if you don't have freedom to innovate, then you can't innovate at all. And the same is true for somebody who is a designer, who's expected to design something, but they're given a specification where they're given no room to maneuver whatsoever. They just have to deliver uh, a CAD model or whatever they need to provide to spec without room for innovation. They don't enjoy doing that much. They would much rather have some space to actually, you know, explore and and do some creative thinking. The same thing is true for managers and and directors. When you're so bogged down with business issues and metrics and, and other problems, you don't have freedom to innovate. You can't be creative. And and that's why I wrote the book, because I thought, what's the first step for somebody when it comes to innovation? If I want to try and um, help people to have freedom to innovate, what's the first thing they need? And what I concluded was that the first thing they need was some inspiration. They need to be inspired to innovate or to be interested in innovation in the first place. And that's where the book, the story of the book began. I started looking everywhere for quotes and ideas around innovation and you know what would be really inspirational and I found that a few people they were maybe uh, quite remarkable in this so people like Steve Jobs people like Elon Musk Bill Gates and others I think that they they're just so remarkable in the way that they think about innovation and the way that they think about the world and how they actually actively push the world forward For me, that's just phenomenal. And I I think that everybody can actually play their part in pushing the world forward. But the first step is inspiration. And that's why I actually wrote the book and put it together to try and inspire people. And and what I found, the best thing about the book is that everyone who's read it has said that they've been inspired and, and they loved it. And that's, 
for me, if it's ticking that box of inspiring people, then uh, that's a that's a fantastic achievement. That's that's wonderful. That's what I'm really looking forward to. I was I was looking forward to reading it anyway. Even more so. Thank you after your explanation. And at the moment, it's at the moment it's a free download, isn't it? Is that going to continue yeah. for a while or? Yeah, so this was a, a discussion I had with my marketing team. You know, should it be uh, that we charge for the book or should it be that we make it a free book? I want it to be that it's free because that way I can, I hope I, people will be, more people will be able to access it and benefit from it. I'd like it to continue that way. And that's also one of the reasons why I tried to restrict it to 90 pages. It could have been a much bigger book with so much more text, but but, you know, I spent so long trying to condense the key points and, and, and my points into, you know, just short paragraphs and so that people can go away. Uh, and the other thing is that I think that it's more taking, uh, the way that I consider it is like it is an innovator's treasure chest. So it's like, uh, and I explain this in the book, you can literally take out a gold coin from the book and you can take that gold coin and you can transform that into, you know, something much more valuable by applying it. And uh, that's basically how I think about the book myself. That's fantastic. So what I will do is I will share the link to the book and to your website and programs in the show notes so that, so that people can access that. And I think that will be great reading for the innovators that we have, lots of innovators listening in. So that's a great treat for everybody. Thank you. I guess a final question from me is, what next for you and your business in these challenging times? What are your plans? For this year, um, my plans uh, are to continue spreading the message that people need freedom to innovate and also developing hopefully more online sort of courses and, and, and workshops to help people get past the barriers to innovation. A lot of the time people have barriers in their minds. So they think things like they might not actually know how to innovate. They hear the word all the time, but they don't know how to do it. And they think of it as a long process. Innovation is something which is long and cumbersome and is expensive. It doesn't have to be like that. If you don't know how to innovate, you can learn how to innovate. And it's important, I think, to be humble and appreciate if you don't know how to innovate, especially if you don't know how to innovate fast. There are techniques, there are strategies, but you have to learn them. Similarly, if your people don't know how to innovate, um, don't blame them for not being able to innovate. Uh, Empower them and teach them or have them trained for how to innovate. If you need inspiration, then, you know, seek out people. I think people like, like yourself, Joe, who does this all the time. Books, there are so many good books on, on innovation and inspirational books. Uh, videos, YouTube, podcasts, all of these things will help to inspire you. And I think that sometimes maybe we don't appreciate that we need to be inspired to be motivated to do something. Yes. And I also think what we read, what we take in comes out in so many different ways and often ways that we don't understand. So by reading good stuff and and innovation is a skill that can be developed. So let's give ourselves that content so that our natural output becomes so much better, more meaningful, more useful, more creative. And and now's a great time to be thinking about that, actually. You know, it is time for personal development. It is time for thinking about the future, as well as making sure that we get the day-to-day sorted and navigate through what's right here in front of us. Well, listen, thank you. I've I've really thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. It's a real honour to speak to you and for you to come on the podcast. Thank you. The pleasure's mine, really, really. If people listening in would love to contact you, how can they best get in touch with you, Mo? 
Uh, I think a good place to start is uh, through Instagram. I'm at, at Dr. Mo Khan, uh, a place that I am. If you want, you can connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Well, I'll, I'll put all the links to your profiles in the show notes as well. So Mo, what words would you leave our listeners with to think about today? One key message that I have to businesses is don't give up. Um, try to, as Joe suggested, seek opportunities. Think about what's going to come up and how you can respond to those opportunities which will arise because that's that way you'll put yourself into a much better position for the future and you won't need to worry about um, you know potential uh, downfall in your business thank you very much thank you we'll, we'll end on those wise words mo and wish you all the best i'll speak to you soon thank you thank you for tuning in to the idea time podcast brought to you by dr joe north if you haven't already don't forget to subscribe to our channel for even more strategies and advice visit our website ideatime.co.uk Enter your email for leading insights, resources, and more every month completely free. We'll see you next time.